Okay, so today we're going to learn about um, a guy called Jairus. Has anyone ever heard of Jairus before? You know Jairus? Jairus was a guy in the New Testament, okay, and he lived in, a, in, a, in the village of Capernaum. Do you guys know where Capernaum is? Yes, Capernaum is in the north side of the Sea of Galilee. Um, it was a uh, fishing village, um, and it was kind of a prosperous town. It was, I mean, it wasn't like large, but like what we would think, but they think that there was probably about 1,500 people that lived there. But during that time period, when Jesus was walking the earth, medicine wasn't, the medical field wasn't all it's cracked up to be compared to what we have today. Like, there weren't any CAT scans, there weren't any x-rays, there weren't any pharmaceuticals, you know, where they can derive medicines from different plants. They use the plants as medicines, but, but their method of, of medical stuff was way different than what we have. It's very, maybe archaic might be a good word for it. So it wasn't very good. And so the life expectancy at birth was only 25 years. So you guys are at least 15 and up, right? Yeah? So you only got 10 more years and you're gone. Yeah. But if you made it to 25, then your life expectancy went up to 48. Ooh, that's not very good, is it? So the life expectancy then wasn't that great because we didn't have all the technology and all the easy living we have now, all the, medic all the medical support that we have. So life expectancy, wasn't life expectancy wasn't good. Medical field wasn't very supportive of that. Um, and so there was a lot of, uh, of, of mortality in that time. So um, Jairus, on the other hand, lived in Capernaum, and he was a ruler of the, synagogue, the local synagogue. And he was a man, basically he was chosen to care for the arrangements of the temple and everything that they did. He probably did everything from setting up, what we would think of like setting up seats, to making sure there's coffee and donuts, to, you know, make sure the lights work. Kind of like that. Maybe like a Chris Miller? Maybe like a Chris Miller? Your, your dad's, he's a ruler of a synagogue, man. Nice. No, he's not. <laughs> So that's basically what he did. So Jairus was this, was this guy, and the, other, the only other thing we know about him was that he had a daughter who was 12 years old, and that she'd become very sick. All right, so let's look and see what we can learn about Jairus. Does that work? All right, so what can we learn about Jairus? Well, the first thing we learn is that Jairus had a dire need. He had a very important need in his life, and that, we can see that in Mark 5.21. And it starts out, And when Jesus had passed over again by ship unto the sea, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea, which was in Capernaum, by the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. So if your daughter... None of you guys, guys have daughters except for the adults. But if you have someone who's very dear to you, someone you love, and they're dying, and you're in this time period, and you, you've heard rumors, maybe you've seen Jesus, maybe you've seen him heal people, would you be willing to, to go and ask for help if you, had a, if you had an important need like that? Well, that's exactly what he did. Um, and, and I just want you to think about do you have a need in your life? So it could be um, 
something at home is, is horrible is happening and I need help with that. It could be uh, my, my sin is, is, is on me and I, I can't seem to cast it off. It's, it's keeping me down. I don't know what it is. Or maybe it's, man, I, I, every time someone preaches, I feel like I need to get saved, but I don't know how to do that. I'm scared. Or maybe it's just my little toe hurt because I kicked the table this morning, you know, and it's a dire need. Whatever it is, maybe it's falling off your foot. I have no idea what your need is, but you, everyone has a need. And so what did Jairus do? Well, Jairus sought help. In verse 22, it says, And behold, there cometh one of the rulers, so he's coming to see Jesus. And when Jairus sees him, he falls at his feet. So how many times have you fallen on your knees and asked God for something? Like, can you ever think of a time in your mind where you were just like, man, I was, I was next to my bed praying, I was uh, out at work or something, like whatever it was, have you ever heard of, or have you ever had a need in your life where you could do nothing else but fall to your, to your knees? Cause that's a very humbling thing. Like, have you ever, like you guys know, like when, when men and women, like when, when a guy proposes to a wife, what, what do they normally, what does the guy normally do? He kneels down. Is that because he just doesn't want to be taller than the woman? No, he's, he's humbling himself. He's humbling. He's saying, you're more important than me. I'm trying to ask you this question that is going to impact our lives. And I want to show you how much I am, I am humbled before you. Right? We don't humble ourselves very often. But it's something we should probably think about doing. So when you, whenever you have a need, are you too embarrassed to ask for help? Are you too ashamed because you're, you think that whatever it is that you have, no one else has ever done before. And you're going to be like the outcast. And no one's going to ever want to talk to you again. But Jairus boldly sought help, and he sought the help. I mean, he sought the only help he could. In verse 23, it says that Jairus besought him greatly. And he says to Jesus, my, my little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. So, to be sought means to implore or ask something with desire. So if, um, if I'm really, really sick and you have the cure in that coffee cup, Gavin, and I'm like, Gavin, please, please, I'm begging you, and I get on my knees, can I please have the medicine? And you're like, yeah, sure, dude, here you go, hopefully. So you can just get another cup, right? Yeah. Like, if you're seeking someone's help and you're beseeching them greatly, he besought him greatly. That I mean, it's a, it's a very, um, it's to ask with, with a strong emotion. So, Jairus is practically on his knees. He's on his knees practically begging for Jesus to help. Have we ever done that? And so then we think, well, then we see that um, how Jesus responds to that. And Jesus responds by doing exactly what Jairus asked. He gets up, he arises from what he was doing, and he, and he starts to go to heal his daughter. So, boom. Answer to prayer. Man, I've got a need. I really need help. My daughter is dying. Can you please help me? He's like, yeah, let's go. He didn't actually say that. Yeah, let's go. But I, in my mind, I, I envisioned he was like, totally. Let's do it. Bro, I got you, man. Let's go. So, Mark 5.24 says, and Jesus went with him. So the thing is good, right? This end of the story, Jesus goes and heals the daughter. Should be that easy. 
But it's not that easy sometimes. Because what we see is that there was opposition. And the first form of opposition was that they could barely move. Mark 5.24 says, And Jesus went with him, Jairus, and much people followed him and thronged him. Luke 8.42 says it, it says it this way, but as he went, people thronged him. And that word thronged means to compress or to choke. So have you ever, you guys ever been to like a concert? You've been to like a concert where there's just like standing room only and everyone's like gathered around. Or maybe you've seen footage of a concert where everyone's trying to get up front and they're, ah, and they're hollering and they got their arms up. And, and you know, you've seen like maybe like, Someone does something stupid in the, in the, I call them bouncers, I don't know, the security guys, like, maybe they, like, come in, and they're, like, forcing people out of the way to get to the guy that's doing something stupid. You ever seen stuff like that? Yeah? Joel, have you ever seen that? Yes, because I spent my free time watching videos. Was that you that got kicked out of the concert? <laughs> but you can imagine, even if, even if it was just you guys right here, compressed up against me, not letting me move, it's going to be very, very hard. For me to force my way through. And so the first thing we see is not only is, so we see that, you know, Jesus says, yes, I'll heal her. But the first form of opposition is they can't even move. Like they're, they're, they can barely walk. And then something else happens. A woman in need interferes with what Jairus needs. So this woman's need happens. And let's see what the word says. Mark 5, 29, 25 through 29. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse, when she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind, came in the crowd behind, and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body, that she, would, that she was healed of that plague. So this woman had a blood sickness, and she believed, just like Jairus, that Jesus could heal her. That doesn't seem like such a bad thing. What's interesting is, the custom back then was when she was sick like that, she couldn't just approach people. She was supposed to, in their culture, she was supposed to distance herself. Until she was cleansed of her sickness, and then she could approach. But she couldn't do that, could she? Because she'd been trying for 12 years. She'd spent all her money. She'd spent every, you know, every last dime. They couldn't make her better. She's still suffering from this. So what does she do? She sneaks in. And she's like, I, I, don't, I don't need to approach him. I'm just going to touch his, the hem of his garment. That seems crazy, doesn't it? You just touch the hem of someone's garment. And... Seth, do you want to touch my shirt? No? Okay. You could be healed of your something. If you thought it would heal you, would you touch my garment? I'm feeling pretty good right now. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> but she was right, wasn't she? Like, she thought that if, if I can go to Jesus, he would, he, he would heal me. And it happened, but unlike Jairus, her miracle happened instantly. But this is, the, this is the form of the opposition that, that happened. Jesus' reaction. Jesus' reaction? Jesus' reaction? 
Where's Jeff when you need him? Jesus reacts. Jesus reacts to this lady. And he asks a crazy question. Mark 5.30 says, And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned, around, turned him about in the press. In the crowd, he turns around and he says, Who touched my clothes? I mean, can you imagine... Right? I'm in a big group of people and they're all pressing on me. They're trying to get to me. They're all touching me, probably pulling my hair and touching my beard because they, they're desperate for something. And, and then I stop and I turn around and I say, who touched me? That's a crazy question. Like, that doesn't seem normal that someone would ask that. And even his disciples were questioning Jesus. They said, his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me? Even the disciples are like, uh, Hey, Jesus, there's a whole crowd of people touching you. What do you mean, who touched me? Everyone's touching you. But Jesus knew that someone had been healed. Right? Jesus knew someone had been healed. He knew something had happened. And that someone specifically reached out to him. Out of that whole crowd of people, out of this whole room of people, someone specifically reached out to him. So what does he do? Can you imagine Jairus right now? I mean, the guy's daughter's sick. She's dying. He finally comes to Jesus. He's kneeling. He's begging, Lord, please heal my daughter, please. And Jesus says, let's go. And then there's this crowd of people and they're keeping them from walking. They can't move anywhere. They're probably like literally pushing their way through. And then Jesus out of nowhere stops and says, who touched me? Jairus is like, everyone's touching you. Let's go. Like, why are we waiting? I'm touching you. Like, I'm trying to pull you. I don't know. Jairus is probably a little, a little frantic at this point. Because when you get an answer to something, you get a little like hopeful, Right? That anticipation, that stimulus check that's coming, I'm, I keep checking the bank, seeing if it's dropped yet. I'm anticipating that. You know, I'm not frantic, but I'm excited about it at least. You guys don't have that. Oh. Wrong illustration, sorry. Your parents are like, yeah, let's get that check that my kid in high school is going to get for us just for being alive. Has anyone gotten any money from a stimulus check? Like, hey, here's ten bucks. It's pending. So what does Jesus do at this moment when Jairus is waiting? He's anticipating. He's probably frantic because I'm a dad. I got kids. I know how I would feel. I mean, I mean, you guys probably have done this, but driven to a hospital in anticipation of your child needing medical attention because there's something wrong. Dude, that's, that's a heavy feeling. That's a lot of stress. That's a lot of emotion. To even just taking my wife to the hospital, actually, it was kind of funny on one, one side. She's in labor. She's, she's going through labor pains, and we're trying to hurry up and get to the hospital. Now, nor, now, this time I was, like, taking pictures, and she was not happy about that. But can you imagine how she felt? She's like, we got to get there, yo. I'm going to have this baby in the car. So what does Jesus do? He gives the woman a blessing. So this whole crowd's around him, 
touching them. They're, they're looking for their, their miracle. They're looking for their help. Jairus has an answer. He's going to get the help, but everyone stopped. And, but Jesus, he stops and gives this woman a blessing. And Jesus looked around about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. So this woman has this problem 12 years. She goes to Jesus. She touches the hem of his garment, is healed. Jesus calls her out on it because she was too afraid to approach him. But she does and she kneels at his feet and Jesus says, You've been healed. Go and be, be, be free of thy plague. So meanwhile, Jairus is left waiting. And while he's waiting, he receives terrible news. It says in Mark 5.35, While he, meaning Jesus, while Jesus yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? Oh, man. Jairus has gone through all this, and, and, and it doesn't say how far it was to his house, but I imagine at some point it's kind of kind of close, and, and they're almost getting there, and the crowd stops them, and then the woman. And, and while she's receiving this blessing, Jairus gets the news that his daughter's dead. Man, that's, that really sucks. Someone received a miracle while he was waiting for his miracle. Someone received an answer to prayer while he was waiting for his answer. Someone got that job while you're waiting for your job. Someone got that new car while you're waiting for your beater to get fixed, you know. Someone's family, their, their, mom, their mom and dad are getting along great. Meanwhile, your parents are fighting all the time, if you even have two. Some people have parents, and some people don't. But Jesus hears this, and he reacts. And Jesus comforts Jairus. Jesus says in verse 36, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, that his daughter was dead, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. That's so hard to do. I think if I'd got a tattoo, it'd be something like that. Like, Be not afraid, only believe. And I'd be like, Phew. And you guys would be like, quit pointing at your tattoo, man. I asked you a question. And I'm like, be not afraid, only believe. That's hard to do. What do you do with that? You're in this situation. You're, you have a dire need in your life. And someone says, be not afraid, only believe. What do you do? That's, that's really hard to do. What does the book of John say about the words of Jesus. What does it say? When Jesus speaks, what does John 1, 1 through 5 say about the Word of God? The Word of Jesus. 
so interchangeable. All right, let's look at that real quick. John 1, 1 through 5 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Who's the Word? Jesus. You know that one Sunday school answer you can always say? Always try to throw you a bone. What's the answer? Noah and the flood. No, it's Jesus. The Word is Jesus, right? And if Jesus speaking, this thing doesn't work very well. Whoa. Oh, no. What just happened? Jesus. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. What? That was weird. Why is it not? I think the batteries are going dead. Alright. So, Jesus speaking... Jesus speaking equals God speaking. And the word of, and God speaking equals the word of God. And the word of God equals the Bible. So when Jesus says be not afraid only believe, he's actually hearing the words of God. Creator of the universe, God all-knowing everything. So how did Jairus react? to hearing this word of God. When you have a dire need, you need an answer, you go to the Bible, what does it say? It tells you what it says, it gives you an answer, how do you react to that? There's four possibilities. How many think there's five possibilities? There's only four. We're going to read about the parable of the sower. You guys know what to sow means? S-O-W? It's to scatter seed. So if you have a, a field and you've plowed this field and all the, the ground is ready to receive the seeds that will grow into the plants, that will grow into food, you have to sow the seed. And, and you could, I mean, you could literally just sow a seed like one every four inches like you would with like a, I don't know, an onion or something. Or it could just be like what I'm, what, what some people do. Like when you do grass seed, you just scatter it in the in the yard, right? So to sow just means to scatter seed. And we're going to read Mark four, verses two through eight. That's hot. Mark four two through eight. And he, talking about Jesus, taught them many things by parables and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, that some fell by the wayside, and the fowls, the birds of the air, came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, the seed sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. It means the root can't go down. The root kind of just curls around and grows up. 
But when the sun was up, it was scorched, because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up, and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased, and brought forth some thirty, some sixty, and some an hundred. You're like, okay, yeah, I got all that. That's, that's, that's kind of confusing, especially since we're not necessarily an agricultural, uh, agricultural culture. So, the disciples, they didn't get it either. They were like, they, after Jesus left, and they, they took him aside, and they're like, um, <clears throat> hey, Jesus, what are you talking about? And he's like, what, you guys don't understand? Let me tell you. And that is in further on in the, ver- in the chapter, verses 14 through 20. Woo, what is going on with this thing? Okay, 14 through 20. And the sower soweth the word, and these are they by the wayside, where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately, and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, and receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some an hundred. Oh, that clears it all up, right? Got the four groups down? Yeah, pretty easy. The first group is a group we're going to call the unresponsive. So the unresponsive is in verse, it comes from verse 4, and it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. Jesus said about these, the unresponsive, these are they by the wayside where the word of so- the word is sown. Yet you, you need to hear that when the word is sown. So the sower soweth the word. The sower is the person who's speaking the words of God. It actually is sown. It is implanted into our hearts when we hear the word. And immediately. It says, immediately Satan cometh and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. So when you speak to someone and you're preaching the word of God, the word is sown in their heart. It is. And immediately Satan comes and takes it away. Immediately. Man. That sucks. Some people just don't want to hear the word of God. They hear it, it goes in their ear, it goes into their heart, and then blown away. Satan comes and gets it. The next group of people, oh sorry, you should have had that up there so you could read that while I was reading it. But I already read it, so okay. The next group of people are the impulsive people. You guys know anyone who's impulsive? 
You do? Yeah. Who? Me. <laughs> Let's hope not. No. Not in this sense? You're just talking about in general, in life? Mm-hmm. Okay. Impulsive people. Uh, Mark 4, 5 through 6 says, And some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth. Immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. What happens if you plant a seed on stony ground, dirt with tons of rocks in it? It has nowhere to put the roots. When the sun was up, it was scorched because it had no root and it withered away. Mark 16 and 17 says, These are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. So you're thinking, that's good. Right? You've preached the word of God. They received it happily. They're happy to hear it. But they have no root in themselves. And so endure, but for time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, they split. You guys ever planted plants? Some of you guys have planted plants? Yeah? Do you? Some, some plants are like this, but a lot of plants, what you do is you take the seed and you put it in this little, this little container that has really rich soil. And then you carefully put it in like a, a, a protected state, a protected area with, a, with light. It's like the perfect chance for it to grow. And then once it reaches a certain size, then you would put it out in the garden so that if it does rain or the wind does come, it doesn't immediately just like destroy it. It's just like a, a child. I have a, I have a four-year-old. Four? Five? Four. She's four. I have a four-year-old. I'm not just going to send her out in a hard day's work and the mowing the grass, you know, like she's four. She doesn't have the ability yet. Her, her root isn't grown deep enough yet. Because as soon as it gets hot or as soon as something gets hard, she's going to be like, she's going to cry. She's going to whine. I can't do it. And she's right. She can't. And if I expected her to do it, well, then that's my fault. But she can't do it. She literally cannot. So these are the people who haven't counted the cost and they give up when things get hard. Yeah, I believe in God and, and, I, and I'm reading my Bible and stuff, but man, these kids at school are making fun of me and they want me to go out and do this stuff, so uh, I'm just going to go along or get along to go along. Go along to get along. Whatever she said. Yeah. I'm just gonna do. I'm just gonna do what I have to do, just to skirt on by without drawing attention to myself. That way, I don't have to suffer the hardship of someone making fun of me, or someone laughing at me, or or someone that I don't want to have to study to answer their questions as to why I believe in Jesus. That's kind of hard to explain, so I'm just not gonna study and have an answer. And then we have the preoccupied. Man, I can get preoccupied. I was really surprised there wasn't an amen, amen. from the back row <laughs> on that. <laughs> I really thought there was going to be like, oh, yeah, I know, or uh-huh, something. Man, I, I can get preoccupied. Oh, there's air right there. It just turned off. Oh, no, it's still going. Do you guys get preoccupied when you have homework? Yeah. Yeah. How many of you guys have chores at home? Like stuff you just, you're just supposed to do, right? 
If, if you're not raising your hand, you're not doing something at home. You need to do something at home. Something. Whether it's changing the toilet paper route or taking out the trash or something, you got to help. But how many of you guys, whenever you're told, hey, Ernesto, what is it you have to do? That's it? Okay, okay. All right. All right. All right. So, Ernesto, can you please take out the trash today? And you, and you would say, what? But you would do it? Yeah. Yeah. So you're walking through. You're walking through. Who's your favorite soccer team? Barcelona. You're walking through the, the living room, getting ready to take trash out, and Barcelona has a game on. You're like, I didn't know they had a game today. And, and he doesn't even maybe realize what he's doing, but he is sitting down. And he's watching the game. He's eating, like, I don't know, what, Takis or something? I don't, I don't, spicy Cheetos? Gardettos? Whatever snacky food. Next thing you know, he's not obeying. He's not taking out the trash. He has become preoccupied with something else. Yeah, it happens. Man, it happens. When you, when you go to work and you have a job that involves a computer and your friend sends you a, a funny Comedy Central video... Next thing you know, have you watched like three or four of them? Whew, it's a snare, I'm telling you. So who are the un, who are the preoccupied when it comes to the sower, though? Verse 7, it says, And some of the seeds fell upon thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. Jesus explains it like this in verse 18 and 19. He explains it like this, And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word and it become it becometh unfruitful so these are the people that hear the word but they're so distracted by everything else that they can't they just can't do it these are people who allow legitimate things and illegitimate things to distract them from the words of God. I woke up late. I have 15 minutes to get ready and leave or I am late to school. It's going to be kind of hard to spend some time with the Word of God if you've got 15 minutes to get dressed. I mean, maybe you guys are already dressed in bed. I don't know what high schoolers do these days. They're like, they just roll out of bed, ready to go. I've seen people like that. They smell like that too, like they didn't take the shower that morning. They smell like they've been wearing the clothes for a few days. So these are people who allow legitimate, real, needful things and things that are bogus to influence what they do with the word. And then we have the faithful. It's the last group. Verse 8 says. Other people fell, other seed fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased. And that's explained in verse 20. Jesus tells the disciples, and these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it. And bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. So these are the people who hear the words of God and apply them to the, their situations in life, no matter what. 
You guys remember Mark Trotter? Yeah, you think that dude was faithful? Yeah. So, it says that some received 30-fold in return. Some received 60-fold. Man, I bet Mark Trotter was at least 100-fold. It doesn't say 1,000-fold, but I, I bet there's 1,000-fold. There's probably 10,000-fold. There's 1,000-fold upon 1,000. Who knows? That dude is faithful. But what kind of man do you think Jairus was in this? Guys, daughter is dying. He doesn't know what else to do. He sees Jesus. He falls at his feet, begs for help. While he's getting the help he needs, some woman stops him. Jesus stops in a crowd, says a crazy question, says, who touched my clothes? Everyone's touching your clothes. What do you mean who touched your clothes? And he said, no, someone. I, virtue left me. Who was it? And this lady's like, sorry, it was me. I've been sick for 12 years. I was suffering, and I knew that if I just touched the hem of your garment, I'd be healed. And Jesus is like, bam, this chick gets it. Her faith, her faith hath healed her. It's hard to say. Her faith hath healed her. And then Jairus receives news that your daughter's dead. She's, she's not alive. Why are you troubling him anymore? It's not worth it. It's too hard to do this. It's pointless. And Jesus hears that. And he's like, Whew, hold on. No, no, no. Be not afraid. Because he was. He was afraid that the, what the guy said was true. He said, be not afraid. Only believe. What kind of person do you think Jairus was out of this group? Preoccupied? Impulsive. impulsive. Might have been an impulsive act to go ask Jesus. I don't know. I really don't know what he was. I don't know. Let's see. Jesus, the next step is Jesus acts. So he's told Jairus this. says, be not afraid, only believe. And then he continues on his purpose. He, hit, he pressed pause for a second, handled some business. Now he's like, let's go. Be not afraid, only believe. Mark 5, 36 through 40. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue. Remember, this guy's a ruler of the synagogue. It kind of takes a lot for him to approach Jesus in this. It says, be not afraid, only believe. And Jesus, he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. See, but in their culture back then, they would actually hire people. They would pay people to come to their funerals to play instruments and to uh, mourn the dead. It was just kind of what they did. You know, I, don't, I don't know what it actually looked like, but that's what they did. And when he was come in, when Jesus came in, he saith unto them, why make ye this ado and weep? Why are you making this, this noise and this, this um, circumstance the way that it is? Why are you weeping? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. They're like, <laughs> no, we've seen her. She's dead. Like, what are you talking about? You're crazy. Which group do you think those people were? I'm guessing they were the first group. Because God... The word of God literally said she is sleeping and they just laughed. Because they had no faith. They just laughed. I mean, how would you feel you're Jairus at this point? He heard the word that she was dead. He's hoping it's not true. He's afraid. Jesus says only believe and he shows up and yep, there they are. They're wailing and, and, and playing the instruments and stuff that the, the funeral dirge or whatever it is that they would play. 
That doesn't very, seem very hopeful. But Jairus' daughter is healed, or is going to be. Let's see what they say in verse 40 through 43. But when he, Jesus, had put all of them out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel, and them that were with him, meaning James, Peter, and John, them that were with him, and entereth in where the damsel was lying. He took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha Kumai, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straight, straightway, straightway the damsel arose and walked. For she was of the age of 12 years. It would have been weird if she'd been like two or one and healed her and she started dancing or something. That would have been kind of strange. But, but they were astonished with great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it and commanded that something should be given her to eat. Great astonishment. So seeing how this is laid out for Jairus and his family... What group do you think he was in? I mean, what group would you be in? Maybe, maybe one of your parents are, is really sick or a sibling is very sick and someone you really care about is sick and, and, and they're dying. What group of, of, of those four people are you going to be in? Because you only have four options. I, I think Jairus... If he wasn't a true faithful person when he asked Jesus, man, I, I guarantee he was after his daughter was healed. He was. I betcha. I know how I would feel. But I want to ask you, which people group are you in? Yeah, you know, there's only four options here. Maybe you're not saved. You don't know what it means to have a relationship with Christ. And you don't care. I'm going to say you're on the hard right side, unresponsive, right? My heart is right. It's right to me. You're left. Maybe you have a relationship with Christ. It's not, not the greatest, but you're so distracted all the time. You don't know how to take God's word and actually make it do something. When you're at church, you hear it and you're like, yeah, that's good. I like that. That was, that was really good, Pastor. I appreciate what you said. I could see how that would, uh, yeah, I could do, I could do that. And, and, but then as soon as you leave, it's gone. There's no root in your heart. Your brain can't even remember what he talked about or what I talked about. Or maybe you're preoccupied. You hear it, but, oh, hold on. I got a text message. I need to answer that first. It could be important. Sorry, my bad. It was not important. Go ahead. Oh, wait. Someone just Snapchatted me. Just snapped me? Snapchat? I'm looking at Gavin like, dude, help me out. <laughs> or Instagrammed. Someone has a new Instagram post. I must check it because if I don't, I can't focus on anything else. Man, those Comedy Central videos, whew. They're so funny. I have to watch at least three of them just to get myself calmed down, uh, and then I and then I then I'll then I'll pay attention. But paying attention is hard, so I should probably take a break because you know it's like a three to one ratio: fifteen minutes of paying attention, forty five minutes of not paying attention. Does that sound about right? That, that seems about right. Yeah. Or maybe you're one of the faithful, or at least you're really trying to be. 
it's all up to you guys. Like, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing Nate can do. Is there something you can do? No. There's nothing uh, Pastor Sam can do. There's nothing Dan can do. There's nothing Brenda can do. There's nothing Christina can do. There's definitely nothing Jeff can do. He's not even here. He's not here. Sorry. He's in Boston. Do you guys know Jeff's in Boston? He, Jeff's in Boston. He's trying to preach to these people. And he knows he's going to preach to a couple of these people. But he wants to preach to all of them. There's nothing wrong with preaching to any of those groups. Someone's unresponsive. Who cares? Preach it anyways. Doesn't matter. It's not up to you what they do. It's up to you what you do. So do you have a need that drives you to your knees? I've had some needs that drove me to my knees. It's hard to say. I've had some needs that humbled me. Oh man, they suck too. It's not good. Some of you guys right now have issues in your life that are serious. They're extremely serious. And maybe, you know, you don't want to front. You don't want to wear your, your emotions on your sleeve so that as soon as you walk into a room, people are like, dude, what's wrong with that person? Whoa. They're obviously having a hard time. Maybe I should go preach to them. You know, most people don't put themselves out there like that. But we all have something. And if you don't have something, you're lying to yourself because there is something. There's always something. So what would have happened to Jairus if Jesus hadn't healed his daughter? So Jesus heals Jairus' daughter, and I'm pretty sure he's in the faithful group at that point. But what does Jairus do if, if his daughter doesn't get healed? What happens when you don't get the answer you wanted from that prayer request that you had, or that hardship that you're suffering through? You don't get the answer you think you deserve? Do you immediately just jump into being impulsive and, and, and unresponsive? Are you faithful no matter what? Because God's Word says what it says. And just because your situation sucks doesn't mean it's going to change. God's Word still says that. It's just what are you going to do about it? Ultimately, it's, ultimately it's our decision. So we have about... Ten minutes left. And I wanted to break up into small groups. Two or three people per group. Unless you absolutely have to have four people. And just... You don't, have, you don't have to tell someone, man, this is exactly what's happening in just A, B, C, D, and E. Like You don't have to do that. But you can tell someone, man, I'm really suffering for, with something... It's weighing me down. It's I can't sleep at night because of it, or I'm really concerned about it. It's nothing really, you know, no one's in danger, but you know, whatever it is, you can still share without sharing. And I want us to pray with each other about what's in our lives that we're struggling with. So, we've got 10 minutes. Groups of two or three.